it's valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands, it's probably worth holding on to. This is Immaterial Treasures. I'm your host, Dan Fee Parker. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Immaterial Treasures. This is Dan Fee, your host. And today I have a really good friend, Bobby Oliveri, in my new episodes that I'm doing called Chronicles of a Young Pastor. Bobby and I met years ago in Virginia. Um, I don't even know how long it's been. It was probably like, what, 12 years ago now? Yeah, at least. More, more than that, probably. Um, Bobby, I met, I met Bobby through a mutual friend. Um, I was in a program called Master's Commission, and there was a guy there uh, named Jeremy, and uh, I think he introduced me to Bobby, I think. Was that, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and our friendship was built on just, you know, talking through really large theological issues. Um, and then we started going to a book reading, right, with Nathan, I think. We were reading, like, Puritan paperbacks and stuff like that. So I would drive out to Fredericksburg, um, Virginia, and uh, we would uh, meet, or Stafford. Was it Stafford? Stafford, yeah. Yeah, Stafford. And we would meet with a, a, a literally uh, a modern-day Puritan named Nathan. Nathan was a beast. He, uh, he really knew his Bible. He bled Bible. And that's how Bobby and I became friends. And since then, we've, ever, we've uh, connected. And a guy I really respect. And today, I wanted to talk about his journey. He's a pastor now. Been a pastor for six years now. Just well over six years. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to capture his story and see what the journey's been like. Um, but for my listeners to get to know Bobby, I want to ta- I want him to talk a little bit about himself. So, Bobby, could you tell us a little bit about how you became a Christian? And after that, like, how did you discern God's calling on your life? Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a privilege to kind of get to know you and your own journey. And, uh, you know, you talk about how we met and the large conversation we had. Seriously, really a high-level forming time in my own life as we were thinking through that. So some of the things that we landed on and discussed are still with, with me today. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that was just a formative part, I think, of any of our, any of our, our maturing in our faith. So, um, yeah, you're pivotal in that, um, of course. Uh, I became a Christian when I was 17. I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian household. Um, my, my parents are not believers. My my family were not believers. My uh, my grandmother on my mom's side was ostensibly a believer. She went to a Methodist church pretty regularly on Sundays. And so when she was in town and it was a holiday, uh, like Christmas, we would go together on Christmas Eve. But that mm-hmm. was that was the bulk of my experience as as a uh, as a Christian, quote unquote, mm-hmm. baptized in the Methodist church when I was an infant, and then never went except when when Mima was in town. And um, I moved to Stafford and had some friends that were part of a, of a church and a youth group of a church called Stafford Baptist Church. And uh, at that time in 2004, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ right. um, came out and Stafford Baptist uh, had this idea to rent out a couple of theaters in the local theater and just share this movie with whoever wanted to come. And so it told its member to invite friends and families and coworkers to come and watch this movie and hopefully lead to the discussion about the gospel. And so I went and truthfully, I went there because my friends were going and there was a girl there that I was interested in. And so I sat next to her and we watched this movie together and, uh, it was an interesting enough movie, raised some questions, uh, probably more than it had answered for me. But after the end, there was an invitation of course, to believe the gospel, but also to come and join them at Stafford Baptist and, you know, attend their, their churches. And so I made a decision at that point to go with my friends to church, uh, and particularly to the Wednesday night sort of youth group. And I was probably 16 at this time. And, uh, and so I did that. I was going to church for about a year 
And at that point, I would have called myself a Christian because I was going to church and I was right. doing some things like a Christian. But uh, in between those those events, I was doing a lot of unchristian things and um, and just pursuing my own flesh and gratification. And uh, that sort of caught up with me, sort of doing this for about a year, kind of living sort of a double life, being a, being hypocritical, professing to be a Christian, but also sort of denying Christ with my life. Um, and uh, Colby, who was a pastor there at the time and, and was preaching regularly and teaching through the youth group, was just faithfully teaching the gospel, preaching from the Bible. And there was a point sort of in 2005 where I knew that I had to uh, answer God's call mm-hmm. to believe him, to trust him, and to walk faithfully with him. And I couldn't keep up doing what I was doing. So I either had to forsake my life and trust Christ, or I had to stop pretending I was a Christian, had a good run, but sort of dive in feet first back into the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew enough to know that that would have been a mistake. And so the Lord really, I think, chiseled away at me over the course of that year and brought me to a place of, you know, what we would call maybe surrender or just acknowledgement that Christ, Christ is my Lord. And his death really provided atonement for my sins. And, you know, I think in that, in that season of my life, uh, I couldn't pinpoint a day or a time. The decision to, to follow Christ really came home for me and uh, knew that the Lord was calling me and I answered that call. And so I was about 17 when that happened, baptized in November, 2005. And, uh, and then just, by grace, been walking with the Lord ever since through many ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And um, the way this relates to sort of my sort of leading or calling into ministry, if you'd like to call it that, is that, you know, at that same time, Stafford Baptist Church was planting another church in Dumfries called Pillar Church and was also both of these churches, Stafford and Pillar Church, were getting involved in Iceland as a missionary work there because there were no sort of evangelical Baptist churches in Iceland at the time. And so my discipleship was sort of wrapped up with mission and uh, church planting. And so the people that I looked up to, because my father wasn't a believer um, and I didn't have any brothers, the men that I looked up to were all ministry-minded men, pastors, mm. church planters, growing you know, growing disciples themselves. And so it was natural for me then to sort of move in that direction as, right. I, as I grew up as a Christian. And I was seeing these men serve the Lord and as pastors, as youth pastors, as missionaries, and I saw the work that they were endeavoring to do through church, church planting and through mission work and church planting overseas. And so it just it sort of just became clear to me as I was studying the Bible and asking the Lord what I should be doing with my life as a, as a young man that uh, he was creating a path for me to walk, mm. uh, which was really which was sort of that call to ministry. And so I think within two years, I expressed my desire, vocalized my desire to be a church planter or be in some sort of vocational ministry. And at that point I was ready to do whatever the Lord, like I was ready to go plant a church or go be a missionary. Thankfully those guys that I, I uh, had in my life slowed me down and just really put me on uh, a year's, many years path of, of learning, of discipleship, mm-hmm. of, you know, different interns and, and, and apprenticeships at various churches and ministries where I got to uh, see what I was good at and learn and help serve many churches and church plants along the way but also just sharpen my, uh, and hone in my calling and my desire. And then in 2015, uh, after about a year of sort of meeting in a home and in a community center, we 
we covenanted together and launched Foundation Church here in downtown Fredericksburg. And we've, mm. we've been doing that for yeah, six years this past September, by God's grace. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, so in your journey of like when you became a Christian and then being surrounded, it, it almost seems like you kind of luckily fell into some good hands, you yeah. know, like men that were ministry minded, faithful. And then you just kind of witnessed that and desired that prior to like becoming a Christian, what were your ambitions? What did you see yourself doing? And did you even think, okay, after you became a Christian, oh, maybe I could still do this as a Christian. Or was it like you became a Christian, you just knew um, this is this is God's calling on my life? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, pr- prior to you know the Lord saving me, I was interested in may- maybe generally in sort of IT. Mm-hmm. You know, that was sort of what my, my, my father did. He kind of coached me that that was a direction that I should end up going because that's the way the world's going, and I, I think he was right. Um, so I was interested in things like programming and, you know, in IT and kind of nerdy things like that. I was also interested a little bit in music, learning to play the guitar. And so maybe, you know, one half of me wanted to be a rock star and the other half <laughs> wanted, wanted to be a, you know, just a sensible, uh, you know, IT technician right. kind of guy. Um, when I became a Christian and, and really quickly plugged into the church, um, sort of the music angle kind of took center stage, and that was one of the primary means by which I was serving initially, just in, in youth group and eventually Sunday morning, sort of helping the, the team there lead worship and uh, exercise that. And so there was a while where I thought sort of ministry, as the ministry idea was taking shape, that that might have been the direction, like m- music ministry. Right. And I had actually planned to go and earn a degree in, in music ministry that way. And, uh, but I also really felt a strong desire to teach, which had been encouraged by the men in my life, you know, cause they were also teachers right. and, and actually most of the pastors in my life were also musicians. And so I saw how both of those things went hand in hand that it wasn't right. just a guy to play guitar, but uh, a pastor an elder musician leads and teaches in the sort of the same way and uses the gifts that God gives them when and where needed. So, I, you know, I, sort of discovered I had a gift for, for teaching and communicating. And that was encouraged and helped along by these guys in my life. And so I was very grateful that I've had somebody, uh, many men who not only sort of saw the potential, uh, for what the Lord would do with me and through me in his own way, but really encouraged me and gave me opportunities to exercise, you know, that and, and to train in those kind of circles so that I could say, yeah, I, I can't, was able to come to a a conclusion early enough on to say, I wanted to be a, an elder, a teacher, um, a preacher of the gospel mm-hmm. more strongly than I wanted to do it or do music or do that kind of thing. That kind right. of, that was, that was clear enough early enough on in that direction where I was able to pretty easily pivot from any other sort of thoughts I might ha- have had about my vocation into, okay, I want to pursue church planting. Right. Uh, that's, that's the right step because I was, I was, you know, Fredericksburg and Stafford are close enough to together and it, going north was too expensive up in the Woodbridge DC area. So right. coming south was what we did. And so I had an affection and an affinity for Fredericksburg as I was growing as a Christian. And there were no really sort of thriving, healthy churches, you know, that either preached the gospel or that were discipling well. So that need here sort of coincided with my desire to go into ministry. And so that the path sort of crossed and it became clear early enough on Thankfully, which isn't the case for most people, you know, that usually they discover something a little later on or by accident. But for mm-hmm. me, it became, the, the pieces fell together fairly early where I said, that's where I want to end up. I want to get married. I want to start a church. I want to serve the community. 
I'm going to preach the gospel in Fredericksburg for as long as the Lord allows me. And, uh, and so I had opportunities to, to grow along the way. So I helped in other churches, served for a year in Iceland through mm-hmm. the International Mission Board, um, and got to, see, got to see a lot of good things that the Lord had done. And then when we came home, we were ready to sort of begin that, that journey of, of pastoring for full time. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, the Lord's been gracious to me in, in allowing me to see those things, identify those things. So mi- like a mission vision, sort of personal mission vision has never really been lacking f- right. from from day one. I don't really remember a, a, a what am I going to do with my life question. Yeah, I think since I've known you, I think you've always known that Fredericksburg was a place that you wanted to plant a church. I remember you even selling that to me. Yeah. You know, you're like... Complaint of church with me, Un- unsuccessfully. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> got on a different path for me, but um, but yeah, I thought that was really unique. Like, like you kind of almost spoke these things, and there was a whole trail to get to this place where you're at now. Yeah. Um, and I guess my next question would be, in, in, with regards to the journey, what was the biggest high in this journey to get to where you're at, and what's your biggest low? Yeah. Oh man, um, the lows come a lot more frequent than the highs. Mm. Uh. I could think of like four or five really low points, um, and not not that many like really high points where yeah. I've been really truly grateful, cup overflowing right. kind of moments. So they're yet to come. Perhaps. I think, I, yeah, I, I think the best is yet to come. Mm-hmm. I do. I mean, so this past Sunday, for instance, um, we, we installed two elders to the pastor alongside me. So now there's three elders. And we hadn't had a plurality of elders for five years. We, we planted the church with, a, with another brother, um, but he and his family moved, you know, about a year after. And so that, that whole process was sort of the first awakening to like, that ministry can be disappointing mm-hmm. and that people can be disappointing and expectations are going to be unmet. And that wasn't the way that I had saw the first year, two years going of, of ministry. And the, the subsequent five years after that were really hard you know, doing ministry in a difficult context as most ministry is, but in this town particularly having its own challenges and doing that sort of on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was surrounded by a good community of other pastors and brothers that cared for me in the church, but nobody here on the ground in the trenches with me. And so the high, like one of the, one of the highs so far was this past Sunday where we, we installed two other brothers to carry that burden with me. And with a plurality, you've got the the joys of ministry multiplied and the burdens of ministry divided. And so I, I already have a, a, a burden lifted from my shoulder because I know there's two brothers who have, who have made this jump of faith with me. Mm. Before that, uh, there's, there's not a lot of really high moments, except when you see people come to faith, you know, those, the Sundays where you're, you get to baptize new believers, um, you know, when you really see how you're preaching and your, your ministry and you're leading the church really is impacting and intersecting with people's lives. So there's lots of rewarding moments, but not so many moments where I feel like I've been really nailing it. Mm. And that's sort of part of the awakening that you kind of get into. You're really optimistic when you start, you start out about how you're going to like, you know, take on hell with a water gun. (laughs) And you realize that you were just not prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a lot of sort of reexamination, like, should I have waited another five years and done an associate pastor, you mm. know? And so I, the scariest thing for, for me as a young pastor was the realization that I'm playing with live bullets, right? That uh, this isn't a game that 
what I say matters and what mm-hmm. I do will affect people's lives. And that could keep you awake at night. It can paralyze you with indecision. Uh, it can also go to your head, all three of which probably have happened to me in some form or another where you kind of, you're not sure how to navigate the terrain. And it's a lot like becoming a parent, right? Like you can be an uncle and you think you've got some idea of what it's like to be a dad because you're killing this uncle thing. Right. But then you have your own kid and you realize you're, you're not even close to being <laughs> right prepared for what being a dad's like. It's like that, you know, as much as I had spent the last eight years in a ministry context serving and helping other churches, I was not prepared for just the, the difficulty doing ministry, particularly ministry on my own, mm-hmm. it would feel like, and the toll that it takes both on my own personal spiritual health and sort of marriage and those sort of things. So there are particular low moments where that family you really love and trusted leaves uh, because of something silly or because of a misunderstanding that you think, you know, probably was more to do with sin and less to do with, you know, uh, personal matters. Um, those are always difficult. You know, there were a couple of times where, you know, I had to be talked off the ledge from, from quitting either, you know, because somebody wants me to step down and maybe I should, or because I'm telling myself I should step down because I'm not good enough. Right. Right. And, uh, in those moments you trust both, you lean back on that, you know, that sense of calling or that commitment you've made to do this work and that you believe in what the Lord's doing. And so you take the little rewards as they come. I really see how somebody's engaged with a sermon in this series has really meant a lot to them. The counseling sessions that you've do, you've done with, 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 you know, a brother and sister in the Lord whose marriage has been restored because of that. You take, you take those wins and those victories and they will, they will, when you're, when you're truly grateful, outweigh the difficulties. You know, thankfully we've not had any controversies where, you know, of a moral, of a moral kind right. where there's been something that's really rocked and we've been, we've been spared from a lot of those things. It's just sort of sin that can reverberate around a small church that if you're not ready for, prepared for, can, can make life difficult. So. I would say, like, yeah, this past Sunday, I, I've experienced really, I, we've arrived at something we've been praying for a long time, mm-hmm. a, a, a plurality of elders, godly men who love the church and who are now sharing the burden of the ministry with me. And that's great for me personally, great for the church. And then many, many sort of difficult moments, which, you know, only the, only prayer and fasting kind of works through, you know, that right. kind of moment. So there's a, there's a lot of stories that go behind each one of those things. But, yeah, that, that's kind of the the short end of it. Yeah. Um, it's often said that pastors are kind of lonely. They don't have like a friend or somebody that they can really kind of trust and bear their soul to. Do you think that's true of you? Like, is there someone that you can say, this is my brother, like a Jonathan type, like my soul's tied up with this person. Um, that's outside of your wife, you know, cause I know your wife could be the immediate person that you talk to about yeah. these things. But as a pastor, do you, have you ever, have you experienced that? Yeah, I mean, I've certainly experienced the loneliness. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a usually a cynical guy, so I'm not I'm not openly trustworthy. I, I see the best in people, but I, that doesn't usually translate into me giving them my trust mm. or being vulnerable with them. And and then the next step when I make when I try to be vulnerable or give trust, it, then it's usually mishandled, and so I become all the more gun shy and distrusting. Mm-hmm. for the next person that comes along with the good intentions. And, I, you know, so there's a sense in which ministry has this sort of a jadedness effect where you begin to wait, oh, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, so th- 
you know, a family comes to church, really mature, godly family, loves the Lord, raising their kids well, has a good sound doctrine and, and theology, good, you know, sort of wisdom and seems to lead well sort of intuitively. And you're like, oh, maybe the Lord is really you know, providing this family for the church because that's what we need. Well, the cynical part of a pastor who's sort of seen too much is now just waiting for something to come to light. Right. right. He's like, maybe the wife's really a secret gossip or, you know, maybe he's addicted to pornography mm. or something's going to, something's going to happen where we're going to disagree and it's all going to go downhill. Mm. And that's sort of the gun shyness. That's not ultimately healthy. You know, I think that's not discernment. That's not just saying, let's not lay on hands too quickly. That is not trusting God to do what he is going to do with your church. Mm. And instead just becoming the sort of the arbiter of what's, what you think is going to happen. So, so it can be lonely when that becomes a pervasive sort of way of thinking about things, which probably I'm prone to, you know, in terms of discouragement and cynical sort of distrust. Yeah. I've fallen into that sort of loneliness because then you cut people out who genuinely want to be your help and, you know, pray with you and through that. Um, But I've also experienced, you know, moments as you get clarity on certain matters, you come through certain issues of sort of the benefit of having those, those particular brothers in your life, like Jonathan's both from with outside of the church, but have gone through it with you. Mm-hmm. But then as God provides those men in the church, those brothers in the church, um, and that's what it was like for both Jake and John, who are our new elders, you know, they, they arrived and they arrived at a time um, where I was, I was thinking I was ready to be vulnerable again. Mm-hmm. And they, they did not, you know, turn that away. You know, they understood what it meant for me to be vulnerable as a pastor and kind of share, here's what I'm thinking and lean on them. And they, they cared for me and they pastored me in a, in a, in a way so that, you know, we were able to get to where we were this past Sunday, which was, yeah, these men are pastors. Right. You, they've, they've been equipped by the Lord to step into the, to the role that they've really been walking in for, for a while now, but now recognized by the church and sort of appointed by the church to do that. And so, yeah, thankfully now and, and for the rest of ministry, that's not a reality. Isolation and, and sort of being alone is not a reality. And, and the lessons learned in the, like the first six years really is that is the most essential thing that a young pastor or any pastor needs to put in place if they go into ministry is that they never do it alone. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not enough to like have people in your corner, but to have people in the trench, right? The corner's one thing. It's good. You need your champions, people praying for you, supporting you, but you need somebody who's walking through a situation with you who can say that right. is, that is frustrating. And let's pray that about that together. Or in a lot of ways, sometimes it's more confronting than you'd like. You know, it's not just, mm-hmm. I agree with you. This person's a bad church member. Let's, let's pray about the Lord changing their heart and more like, let's pray that your heart's, you know, more softened toward that person. The sheep of, of the Lord right. need your, need your compassion, not your, you know, your disapproval. So right. that's, that's, that's invaluable when it comes to having those kind of members there. That's really, uh, that's really helpful and insightful, kind of seeing into that, that part of uh, your journey. And a lot of pastors probably feel that same way as well. Um, where, what do you think people misunderstand about pastors the most that you wish they would uh, almost take time to think through? Yeah, that's a big question. That, that your pastor has not arrived uh, yet. They may be more advanced in, in certain areas, let's say, of Christian theology, mm-hmm. hopefully of spiritual wisdom and maturity, 
but their their lives are not perfect, and that's that's easy enough to affirm, but to to allow that to actually color the way that you think about approach and deal with your pastors, I think that needs to be sort of the lens by which you're thinking through those things. So uh, my pastor struggles with um, approval, mm-hmm. right? Um, I can see that in him. I know that he he's trusting Christ for those things, but I can see the tendency to want to listen to the sheep on something that he might lead in. Mm. Well, then you can respond by uh, sort of coming down on him, which is only going to exacerbate the problem of seeking man's approval right? or coming alongside of him, shepherding him in your own kind of way. Right. I mean, that's, that's sort of the unique thing. I mean, how, whatever sort of tradition you might find yourself in as a pastor, you know, the sheep have, have this sort of unique role of actually being a comfort to the pastor. Mm. You know? And, I could be shepherded by my sheep and, you know, really by brothers and sisters who kind of can speak a word and season to me just about giving me the encouragement. Hey, do you, you know, I know that you're, you're thinking about what this person might think or about, you know, I know, you know, take the coronavirus for instance, right? A lot of, a lot of back and forth about what we should do and how we should mm-hmm, do it. Mm-hmm. Having somebody come to say like, I know there's a lot of pressure on you and you might tr- be thinking too much about this thing or that thing, you know, like whatever you decide, you know, I'm going to trust that you pray through that and we'll follow you diligently, you know, and I'm, I'm here. If you're going to make a mistake, I'll lovingly correct that. But at the end of the day, we're going to trust you. That sort of, that sort of thing's important. Just recognizing your pastor need is in need of Jesus as much as the people he preaches to and will need to have, have their own way of coming to Jesus and dealing with the unique challenges that ministry brings. A lot of that is approval. A lot of that is acceptance. A lot of that is, you know, uh, earning, earning sort of merit, uh, though not theologically in the eyes of God, but sort of relationally, mm-hmm. right? The, the more successful my church is, the closer I will be with the Lord. And that's all coming from a place of pride and not knowing sort of f- fully how the gospel can speak to them in the context of ministry because who's, who's going to tell them? So the sheep, the, the, the sheep really just need to encourage and remember, you know, yeah, your pastor, your, your pastor's still working it out in a lot of ways. Right. And so look to them to lead in certain areas, but don't be expected when they, don't, don't be surprised when they fail. Right. Right. Um, It's not a, it's not a excuse when they sin or fail, but just don't, don't be surprised that a sinner sins and, uh, and just prepare to give grace in love and in submission really in the, in the big part of it. I mean, that's, that's sort of it. There's a real authority that comes with being a, being a pastor, which can be abused, but, lovingly submitting to your elders mm-hmm. and it, it is a source of encouragement and uh, a way that your, your pastors can serve all the more better when they're not fighting or wrangling with the sheep. They're always going to be that, that fire to put out or that sheep they need to wrangle. You don't have to be one of them. I think what's Hebrews 13, I think we'll say, right? Like don't, don't vex your pastors, you know, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't cause your, your, the elders to be anxious, you know, about these things. Um, Cause it could be a reality. So submit to them, love them in humility and, and, they in turn will humbly lead right? when there's not this sort of back and forth power tension at play. That's super helpful. I mean, I know oftentimes even in my own local church, I look at my pastor as one who's just arrived. Mm-hmm. Like I know intellectually he's a sinner. I know that, you know, he's not perfect, but I mean, I, he stands behind God's word and I'm like, yeah, he's, he's there. <laughs> you know, it, it, I can get like into that thought. 
Um, so that's very helpful. Um, now I'm going to flip that question and ask, um, that's what members need to know about your position and how it plays out. However, how would you, um, what would you, what, what do you wish members would get? Like in, in regards to how they interact with each other or even with regards to God's word. And specifically, I know you mentioned it briefly in passing, what's going on in our world with regards with COVID and with uh, Black Lives Matter, all these issues that keep popping up. What do you wish your members would get and what they, what they, what they should give to each other? In our context, you know, especially, um, it's really important to remember that the church is at its best in the Bible and in church history when things are not going their way. Mm. Um, but you would think reading certain posts or, you know, listening to certain commentators that the way for the church to succeed is by having victory over their political opponents, over the secular, whatever. Um, and that's just sort of run contrary to the, for the story of the, of, of the church so far, mm-hmm. which has been a story of generally, I mean, we've had seasons of prosperity, but generally across the world, even, even today in other places of the world, oppression, persecution, uh, heavy discouragement, um, where the church has had to fight to survive. And in light of all of that, God's still preserving and in some cases growing their church in r- rapid ways. You know, we see that in places like the Middle East and in China and even in sort of those really difficult places where Christians are, are, are trusting the Lord for their, their survival. That's happening despite everything going against them. So they're not worried about... Uh, which candidate is going to favor their their pet policy, mm-hmm. but not dying the next time they meet with other believers. Mm-hmm. So we, th- we, we historically have thrived under that kind of context, and we've become really complacent here in the West generally that uh, the church is at its best when it's on top of its enemies. And that's just, that's runs contrary to the picture. So I want members to sort of stop trying to gain the upper hand over culture, mm-hmm. as if culture is the enemy that they have to fight with, or against, against the sort of secularism of the age. You know, these things are all problems that should be thought through. Um, but we're not waging war against flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. So our neighbors are not our enemies. Um, and at the end of the day, our enemies are not our enemies. We pray for them and love our enemies. And so those things we deal with in a biblical way, in a Christian way, but at the end of the day, we wrestle against the principalities and the powers of darkness. And we have a job that goes beyond the scope of sort of petty arguments of policy decisions and even nations, right? We, Ephesians 3, display the manifold wisdom of God to the heavenly places, you know, the principalities. So we've got the sort of the cosmic scope of God's glory on display to the host of heaven, not just our neighbors or not even just to the world, but to angels and to fallen angels who mm-hmm. are seeing what God has done in the midst of his people and the glory that shines or just displayed through that goes well, well beyond what we generally think of. And so members need to have this bigger view of what God is doing both in their own little life and in the church at large mm-hmm. and recognize that it's not going to be stopped by l- restrictive laws that ban meetings. And it's not going to be stopped by... Uh, men threatening to kill Christians. 
uh, if they don't convert to Islam. It's not going to be stopped by abortion being legalized and celebrated. The church isn't going to be stopped by any one of those things. In fact, even when everything goes against the church, the church is not going to be stopped but thrive. And that big, that big picture makes really small impacts in a lot of ways, mm. just as we think about one another, how we love and serve one another. Not only those differences become really sort of meaningless, um, but we, the, the unity that's built around that, right? You have a closer camaraderie with, with brothers and sisters that you're in the trench with rather than just trying, you know, this isn't, this isn't a democratic system. We're all just trying to agree on one thing and convince the other person that you're right or they're right. But we're just all not just trying not to get hit by a, a bullet coming right. from the enemy. And that creates a lot of unity when you think about it that way. And so, uh, you know, an, an, an enough, I would say, of the let's, we have to beat down our opponents so we have to overcome these things. And rather, what does it look like to, to suffer for righteousness sake? And uh, not, not masochistically embrace, you know, suffering. We right. don't want to do that. You know, and, and in, the, in the West, we have ways that we can avail ourselves. You know, we can vote and we can do those things. So I'm not anti, anti-voting. But at the end of the day, you know, when things don't go our way, you know, we don't have to throw our hands up in the air and say, you know, the enemy's winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that would run contrary to, to what the Bible has said, you know, what Jesus has said about the church, which, you know, the gates of hell would not prevailing against it. So I want to encourage my own members particularly that, you know, their, their job is not to wage war against culture wage war against secularism. They're not having to push back the tide of darkness in politics or divisiveness in the workplace. They simply need to be faithful as a Christian and they need to rejoice in their sufferings as they share in the sufferings of Christ. And they love one another and they love those who persecute them as Christ did, who is our example. And they will receive the reward, the reward for that when the, when the time comes. Um, and they, so what P- Peter says, you know, you, you suffer righteously entrusting your soul to a faithful creator. That's, that's our job. Mm-hmm. So not, not to get out of suffering, but when suffering comes through whatever means, we entrust our souls to a faithful creator who will do good for us uh, while we do good work. That's just what it calls us to do. So go out and do good. and Don't whine about the suffering. Avail yourself of it, right? So... Paul, Paul will tell a slave, right? If you know, you, if you can avail yourself of your freedom, avail yourself of it. But that, that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. The issue is your faithfulness to God right now. Walk in light of the gospel. Be be true to God's word. And you know, if your master beats you, he beats you. If the government wants to kill you, it'll kill you. Uh, if you need to run and hide, run and hide. If you need to stand on something, stand on something. But what matters is is your soul entrusted to a Creator that's faithful to you, and whose promises will stand, and whose church will not be beaten or defeated by whatever tide of secularism or darkness or hell that wants to prevail against it. Yeah. Keeping the big picture in mind. Yeah. And that's incredibly hard to do. I don't want to think like, Mm. Oh, just do that. And you're gone. Like you have to constantly think through in every iteration, you know, especially in our society, because there's so much attention that, that that's, that's targeted here, you know, on our screens, on the media, every conversation we have out in public is going to be about some form of, of the world or another. And we have to say, how do I think about this in a way that honors the truth that God will do what he said he's going to do and not allow me to get bogged down in all these sort of civilian things? If this world is going to burn, right, and be refined and many of these things with it, then I'd rather invest my time and energy into something that will 
go beyond. And we can't avoid that. I mean, we're going to, we're going to work for money to provide for our families mm. to live in houses that don't matter in the end. But uh, we do need to recognize that most of our time and energy as Christians should be spent on loving God and loving neighbor and not, not arguing about the best way to sort of defeat Satan because he's defeated. Right. And we should walk sort of victoriously in that truth. Uh, even if, even if it seems like he's, he's got the upper hand at the moment. Yeah, that's very insightful. Uh, thank you for uh, all that you said. And uh, I think I've, I've enjoyed this and I hope my listeners have as well. Um, sure. Bobby again is a pastor in Fredericksburg, Virginia at Foundation Church. Um, so you, if, if you're listening, uh, most of my listeners, I don't even know where they're at, but, and you're in Virginia, check him out. He's a very good pastor. As you can tell from the interview, very well thought out, um, and spoken. So, um, any parting words, Bobby? If you're listening to Daffy's podcast, uh, hey, congratulations on finding it, uh, two, and you're thinking about joining ministry, um, you should do it and it's worth it and because the gospel is worth it and people being saved with the gospel is worth it. And your life poured out as a drink offering for the sake of others is worth it. So do it. I hope nothing here has been discouraging to you. Uh, and if anything, you know, ministry, not, not only my own, but in, in many of the saints that have gone before, uh, shows the worth and the value and the beauty of Jesus. Um, and I, if I could give two lives for the gospel, I, I would. So I would encourage you, if, that, if that's what the Lord might be working in your own heart, um, get my information from Dan Fien, talk to me, and I, and I will try and help you along that journey. Awesome. Thank you, Bobby O. Appreciate it. Thanks, man.